Alright, so we are in our second week of Sermon on the Mount, and uh, uh, last week was a challenging and yet liberating uh, kind of uh, unpacking of that first section in chapter 5, um, where we see that Jesus is um, taking the law that was written and what was seen as spiritual piety, and he flipped it on its head. He said, he proclaimed this kingdom of God, it was an upside down kingdom, where it was no longer about appeasing God, or earning God's favor, or his love, but rather this this dominion of religious legalism that overhung everything, right? This like fear of God and fear of I've got to get everything right, I've got to do everything step by step that's correct, and it turned... Jesus proclaimed an economy of grace. And this economy of grace is uh, this, this new way by which his followers would live and be transformed by new hearts, right? I'm going to take that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You're going to live because not because you're just trying to rigorously follow a bunch of laws, but because your heart is a heart after my heart. And we have the same passions and desires. And so, as we now are going to move into chapter 6... As you look at chapter 6, you'll see there's a whole bunch of different headings. You guys hear that, right? Okay. Okay. I'm just going to have this beautiful sound as I preach today. I don't don't know. So so, uh, as we move into chapter 6, if you look at all the different headings, it looks like Jesus is jumping from topic to topic, but really Jesus is continuing the same critique of their culture and of their religion. It's, it's, he's actually very pointed in what he's talking about. If you look at those different topics, he talks about, uh, giving to the poor, he talks about prayer, and he talks about fasting. And he's tackling actually three big obligatory observances of what the Jews called alms, prayer, and fasting. They had these three main tenets of their faith. Alms, prayer, and fasting. Now, almsgiving was a directive that was given in Deuteronomy 15, and it was a duty, a responsibility to help the poor, the orphans, the widows, those that didn't have enough. Fasting was both a public event and a private event. The whole nation actually fasted on a certain day. There was the this... Uh, Day of Atonement, they called it, and nobody would eat. But then people would also fast outside of that to show their religious fervor, um, especially publicly. They wanted to look gaunt and weak, like, look what I've been doing for the Lord. I can hardly stand up. And, uh, and it was, and it was a statement to make. And then prayer, um, prayer was, uh, uh, an expectation. All Jewish males over age 13 were expected to pray, and still are, three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Um, and so they're supposed to stop everything they're doing and they're to repeat certain prayers. And, uh, and so over chapter six, over the scope of chapter six, Jesus is critiquing these three big tenets that are the, their, their societal and their faith expectations. And so we're going to jump right now into Matthew chapter six, if you have your Bibles, starting in verse five. Matthew six, starting in verse five, or you can use your Sunday links there to the Bible app. And here's what it says. Jesus is speaking to the crowd and he says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth 
as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So, it's a fascinating thing. Uh, It doesn't seem to matter what the spiritual health of our nation is. Uh, It seems to be no matter where we stand politically or whatever else is going on, prayer is prevalent in our society. Uh, I know that we often um, uh, are sorrowed that there's no prayer officially in schools. Now, students, let me make sure you understand this. You are free to pray, pray in school. But, you know, prayer led by teachers and faculty in schools. But, but um, it, if you look at our nation, especially in times of tragedy and loss, uh, the very first sentiment that is mentioned is thoughts and prayers, right? It's the very first thing we hear. Um, it was a powerful moment a couple weeks ago um, on Monday Night Football when a young defensive back for the Buffalo Bills suddenly collapsed on the field and had just this cardiac arrest. It was terrifying. They're administering, uh, administering CPR there, um, and it was horrifying to watch in real time. And you could see these, these players weeping, these grown men weeping as they see their friend there and begin to pray on the field. And, and, and then as news went on and as the time went on, the nation went to prayer. You saw secular news channels and sports, sports shows and commentators praying on TV for this, for this player. Um, the nation itself went to prayer over this event. Um, even with the separation of church and state, every president since President Eisenhower have attended the national prayer breakfast. It actually just happened this last Thursday uh, morning uh, where there's a national prayer breakfast. The president and dignitaries go and they have a prayer breakfast. Now that might be seen as a, a, as a formality, but yet prayer still is in, in our nation. There's something that draws us to prayer. You see, we have something hardwired into us to reach out to a power that's beyond ourselves, especially when we reach the end of ourselves, don't we? We want to reach out to this power, this strength, this strength that's beyond ourselves. When we don't understand, when we can't change uh, whatever's going on in our environment, we reach out to this power that's beyond ourselves. And so um, we see our nation doing this, no matter how secular it might be. Um, and while prayer might be wired into our DNA, this natural tendency to reach out to this greater power, let's have a moment of honesty. Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but how many of us would say that we struggle with our prayer life? Yeah. Okay, my hands up. I'm not just demonstrating. My hands up. It's it's difficult. If you and 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 it's not uncommon. If you were to go into a bookstore, which I don't know if they really exist anymore. If you were to go on amazon.com or the one I think it's is it Borders that's still left here in town that's over there by VRC. Barnes and Noble, sorry. One of those is still over there. And you were to go into the spiritual section there, they would have an entire shelf dedicated to prayer. As a matter of fact, as I was preparing for this message, I got into my bookshelves and I had a stack of books dedicated to prayer. Yet, when Jesus demonstrates how you are to pray, he only uses 62 words. He says, you want to know how to pray? And he lays out 62 words. That's a short book. That's a, that's a children's length book. That's, that's Good Night Moon right there. But the simplicity of prayer would seem to make it uh, so easy, the way Jesus lays it out, right? And so accessible, it wouldn't be a problem. But for a lot of us, we make a mess of it really well. I do. I make a real mess of it. I overthink it. I underthink it. I don't put enough time into it. I put, you know, all these different things. Because I think there's a few problems we run into. First of all, we see prayer as a first aid kit. We see prayer as only break into this in case of emergency. You know, like when things start really going bad, when it hits the fan, that's when we pray. Or the other side of it is we use prayer as a tug of war. It's our wrestling with God kind of thing. 
We start to make deals. Okay, God, if you answer this, I will do this and I swear I will. I promise. Or I swear I will never do this again. And we turn it into a haggling thing with God, right? It's kind of the, the, the Jacob prayer, right? And we're, we're wrestling with God. If you do this, then I'll do this. And, 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 and then the other side of this, and I think this is the most dangerous lie of all, but probably the one most of us deal with, is we view prayer simply as a duty. It's a responsibility. How many of us have ever said or heard it said, I should pray more? We feel the weight of that, the obligation that I should be praying more. Um, the perspective is, as, of prayer as a duty um, is really how most every religious person understood prayer at the time. Remember that, three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. You have to put on your phylacteries, you wrap your arm with this, this special cord, and you, you say these certain words, and it's an obligation that you're supposed to follow through with. So, for the disciples, their context, their understanding of prayer was this. It's what they had always seen. They, it was, first of all, it was the dominion of the religious elite, the the men in the fancy clothes that stood on street corners. The second thing that they saw in prayer was it was paid people that were paid to pray at funerals. And the third was it was a show. They were, there was, prayer was speeches and it was posturing. As a matter of fact, the way that the religious elites would pray is they would want to do it in public so everybody could hear just how, uh, pious they were, and so they'd have someone come out with a trumpet and go, and they'd say, uh, brother, such and such is about to bring a prayer, you're going to really want to hear this one, and they'd come out and they'd say, oh God, and they'd really make a show of it, and thank you God for making me so humble, and, and for all this humility I've got. And, and, and they'd make these big, boisterous prayers. And then, so the disciples, this was their context of what prayer was, but then they see Jesus, and they see Jesus pray, and they notice that's different. When Jesus prayed, it was different. You see, Jesus would get up early in the morning and he would go off into the hills by himself to pray. Not onto a street corner, no big horn announcing he was about to start praying, but rather not looking for recognition just to go into the hills to pray. And Jesus would pray and miracles would happen. Stuff would actually happen. It wasn't just that people were saying words to God, but rather there was actual effect to, their, to his prayers. Words would happen and stuff would happen. And they're like, whoa, there's, there's power to what Jesus is saying. He prayed over a small basket of fish and chips and he fed 5,000 people with it. He, he, uh, he prayed for crippled people and they walked. He, he, he did these incredible things. And he also, they also noticed this. He prayed with a comfort and a familiarity that was different. He prayed with a comfort to God that was different than the way other people prayed. And they wanted to know what that was. And so in Luke 11, they came to Jesus and they said, teach us how to pray like you pray. Teach us what, what you do. And so Jesus demonstrates a model of prayer for them. So there's two things I want to talk about today. The model of prayer that Jesus demonstrates. Jesus demonstrates a model of prayer, but also Jesus modeled a life of prayer. So Jesus demonstrates a model of prayer. Here's an example of how to pray. But then also Jesus' life modeled a life of prayer. So we're going to look at these two examples given by Jesus. First of all, this demonstrated model of prayer that Jesus gives. So before he even jumps into his sample prayer that many of us are familiar with, our Father who art in heaven, before he even starts this, he warns his disciples. He gives a warning. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. You see, you need to pray with the right motives, right? The first thing is motives. He said, you, you cannot pray like the hypocrites. You need to pray with the right motives. And then he says, also, don't be like the Gentiles. These are the ungodly people, the people that are, uh, you know, just speaking gibberish, essentially. He says, you need to have, allow your prayers to not be empty. They need to be filled with substance. You need to be real. And, and don't just fill the space with empty words. 
And so, when Jesus opens his prayer, he reminds us, he starts with these two words, Our Father. And I think it's interesting, first of all, he doesn't say my father, because that would be pretty accurate. He says our father, it's pretty inclusive, but then this father language, Jesus reminds us that we really approach God like children. We approach God like children. This this uh, opening really indicates a relationship of familiarity, but also it, it kind of shows our position as guileless children. Um, children are without pretense, aren't they? Uh, I, <laughs> Judas just coming out of it, when he was a little guy, I, it was hilarious because they, kids say things that you're like, you have no, you'll comment on people's weight, on their size, he's like, you're huge, you know, and, and all kinds of things because there's no filter, right? There's just a, an approach that's very comfortable, they're without pretense, they're not pretending to be something they aren't. And prayer is bringing our true selves before God, our warts and all. It's who we really are. We're saying, God, this is who I am. This is who I really am. And in Matthew 23, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, he's talking about the religious law teachers and the Pharisees. He says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And they wear robes with extra long tassels. So the law was, you know, that they had was to wear certain tassels and things like that. But the longer the tassels, the holier thou art, you know. And so they, they get the long tassels and they have to wear a prayer box. They're like, my prayer box is bigger than your prayer box, you know. They're like tying shoe boxes to their arms or something like that. It was all posturing. And so we need to bring ourselves, our true selves before God. You see, sometimes we like to... It, I don't think so much today we have people standing out on the street corner trying to show off just how holy and righteous we are, but we do try to show God that we kind of got things together here, God. This is why you should answer my prayers. I'm trying to pull things together, and we try to not so much impress the people around us, but sometimes we feel the pressure that we have to have it right to get God's attention, or at least His answer. And, uh, and, and some, some people see prayer as kind of something like a, a government tax form, right? You've got to fill it out just right. Get all the things in the right boxes or else you're not going to get your return. And so there's this pressure of, okay, I've, I've got to say the thou's and the ye's and thou's, you know, all the King James Version stuff in there to make sure that God approves of this one. And, uh, and the, the, there's this pressure to get it right. And there's an author I spent a lot of time reading as I was preparing this message. His name is Richard Foster. And he said this, he said, Who can ever master something in which the main object is to be mastered? And we spend so much time saying, I've got to get my prayers just right. But the whole point of prayer is that God would take over our hearts. Amen. So Jesus lays out this model and he goes in and he opens. He says, you know, um, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is one of those words that you're like, what in the world? It means holy. It means powerful. It, it's a, a telling God all that he is. It affirms who God is and it reminds us of God's holiness and his might. So we open in prayer with, with determining who God is in relation to ourselves, right? So hallowed, great is your name, God. And then it goes into, um, Jesus goes into this moment of giving requests. He said, give us this day our daily bread or our gluten-free bread if it was written in the 21st century. So it's, <laughs> we got some gluten-free folks right here. It, it's, it's, Coming to God with our requests, our needs. Saying, Lord, here's what I need. And we need to come, we, 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 what do we ask for in prayer? And here's where we get locked up sometimes because we're like, what do I actually ask God for in my prayer time? I, it can't be, it can't be too needy. I've gotta be, you know, pretty altruistic with it. I need to be like, Lord, for all the hungry orphans and not myself, but just the orphans. You know, or what do I pray for? Do I pray for myself? But, but, but really, we all come to prayer with a really tangled mass of motives. We all come to prayer um, with those altruistic 
intentions, but also really selfish intention. We come with merciful feelings and also hateful feelings. We come with the loving and the bitter. But let me tell you, God is big enough to receive us with all of our mixture. God is big enough to handle us with all our mixture. In the same way Jesus compared to us coming to God as a child, think of the wild requests our children come to us with, with come to us at, at times with, right? Um, sometimes we're grieved by the selfishness of the requests of our children. But how much more would we be grieved if they never came to us at all? And as we pray and as God works in us, it's interesting because as we mature and as we spend that time in, in prayer, watch the nature of our request transition as our hearts are changed to be more and more like His. See, sometimes we say, well, then I just won't pray because I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to say the wrong things. I don't want to do this. Rather than saying, let me come to God with all that I really am. I'm going to bring the concerns, even if they are selfish. And watch God work in those circumstances. Watch Him develop my character. Watch Him develop me spiritually. And as that happens, there's a transition as our hearts are changed to be more and more like His. You see, sometimes God will, when we pray about something, change our circumstance. But sometimes God will instead change us. And often, both are happening at once. And so we come to God and we bring these requests. And the next thing we see is we come with confidence. Did you see? Jesus said, give us our day, our daily bread. He doesn't say, listen, if it's okay with you, if it's cool, please, just, just let me run this by you. Some bread would be cool. But if not, cool. Okay, maybe? No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Jesus says, give us our, give us this day, our daily bread. There's a confidence with coming to God with our requests. I think often we get concerned, well, what if God doesn't answer? What if God doesn't answer? And, and it, let me tell you, it's not our job to protect God's reputation. I, I, it, some people stop asking because they feel embarrassed for God's sake when the request doesn't happen in the timing that we would like or in the manner that we would like. And so we, we feel like, oh, well, maybe my prayer time shouldn't be so much asking, but just kind of praise and listening. But, but that's a nice thought, but that's not what Jesus taught. Here's what Jesus said. Ask, and it will be given to you. Ask. So, so there are times where God's answer will be, you know what, that's a nice request, but this time it's going to be my will, not your will. This time I'm going to work on that character side of you, we're going to develop you, but there's a boldness we need to come to the throne room with. Um, Jesus made a request to God in prayer that was not answered. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's praying. He says, he's looking ahead to what's going to happen. He sees that he is going to be taking on the entire weight of the sin of humanity of all time upon himself. And the Bible says that at seeing that sin, God the Father turns his head from his son. That's the first time there's not perfect relationship with Jesus and the Father. And this is the weight that Jesus feels. And he knows that crucifixion is coming. Let me tell you, I don't think that Jesus was fearful necessarily of the crucifixion itself. He was seeing the weight of all the sin of humanity and the separation from the Father. And he sees this coming and he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. But, not my will, but your will be done. And whose will was done there? The Father's. You see, he yields his will to the Father, even in bringing this request, boldly asking in the same hand yet, complete surrender to God's will. A bold request with complete surrender. It's kind of a dichotomy, isn't it? 
So, so Jesus models boldly asking and, and also this complete surrender to God's will. And G- then Jesus also demonstrates in the Lord's Prayer as we get towards the bottom. He says, forgive us our debts um, as we forget our debtors. Debts and debtors, trespasses, it, your translation might say different things. That is your sins. He says, God, forgive me of my sins. It's a time of repentance. He says, I need to repent. And then he goes on to ask for spiritual strength. He says, for lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he's praying that God would, would supply everything he needs spiritually as we engage in spiritual warfare. Don't let the evil one overcome me. As I walk through my day, give me the strength to overcome. And so Jesus models this prayer. But then what I want us to look at, and like I was telling our team before service started, I said, this is series within series within series. I want to preach a whole bunch of different messages on this. But we need to keep moving here within this context. Jesus finishes this example of prayer, but then through the Gospels, we've got this life of prayer that Jesus modeled. Jesus was constantly in prayer. And he wasn't just saying the Lord's Prayer over and over. Let me tell you, the Lord's Prayer is not the only prayer we should pray. Look at all the times Jesus prayed. Um, Jesus was consistently in prayer. Even in the busyness of his life. You think about all he accomplished in just three years of ministry. But yet he found time to steal away and to spend time with the Father. He found time to get away for prayer, especially early in the morning. He would go into the, into the hills and he would pray because um, he knew what he needed to be in the presence of God. You see, we're surrounded by an endless series of activities and distractions, so we live with really scattered minds and noisy hearts. I, I think about, we literally can't detach from a distraction. It follows us in our pockets with our cell phones. I can be reached at any given time for my job. I can, I can be reached at any given time with a need or that. Or, and if I'm at work, I've got my computer, I've got this and I've got that and I've got, you know, we, we are constantly surrounded by noise. I get in my car, which could be a moment of silence, but do you know what I do? I turn on the radio. We've got noise. It's just reverberating in our life all the time. And, and let me tell you, we, we, we live in this strained and this hurried and this breathless life and we're distracted people. And Jesus, Definitely could have said, I've got a lot going here, Lord. I will find time to pray next week. But look, I've only got a certain amount of time on this earth. But let me tell you, there will always be another high priority thing. There will always be another emergency waiting in the wings, an item of urgency that's important to deal with. But learning to pray, no matter how chaotic life seems, is not optional in a Christian life. It's imperative in a Christian life that we learn how to pray. It's got to be wired within us. If you were to ask any person, what are you doing to, in your spiritual life? How are you growing spiritually? The, probably the first things they would say is, I'm reading my Bible and I'm praying. Prayer is just like elemental. It's, it's the very baseline of what we need, but yet we struggle with it so much. I like what Paul Miller said. I was reading his book, A Praying Life, and he said, learning to pray doesn't offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. I think that's so powerful when you think about how we just are rushed all the time. Our, our lives are all rushed. And let me tell you, pausing to pray won't make all those things, your calendar, suddenly empty out. But it'll slow down your heart to hear the voice of God. So Paul kind of echoes the sentiment of the life that Jesus was, was living. He exhorts the church to live in constant prayer. Nearly um, every one of his epistles that he wrote to these different churches that are in these cities, and nearly every one he talks about consistent prayer. Um, to the church in Thessalonica, he wrote, pray without ceasing. To the church in Rome, he wrote, he wrote, wrote rejoice in your hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
to the church in Ephesus, he said, pray in the Spirit sometimes in every prayer and supplication. And how often? All times. To the church in Corinth, he wrote, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To the church in Philippi, he said, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So how do we do that? How do we pray all the time? He says, he says that, uh, you know, especially in that, that letter to, to the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. I've taken that, I, I've lived with guilt for a lot, often. I don't know if you're like me, but hearing that praying without ceasing, I'm like, I cease a lot. There's a lot of ceasing. I'll probably cease several times today. I've probably already ceased several times. And, and there's this weight of like, how do I pray without ceasing? Well, if anybody seemed up to the task, it was Jesus. But let me tell you, he was a pretty busy guy. How did we see this model in, in his life? How did he take on this impossible task? Well, we live our lives in isolated pods. Maybe you've walked down the, uh, the frozen food aisle. When you walk down the frozen food aisle, there is a whole section de- just devoted to TV dinners. Um, anybody ever see... Sandy, we got a slide there. Anybody ever see these TV dinners there? You've got, you've got the mystery meat in the main section... And then, and then you've got uh, the green beans up there that turn to the temperature of lava, yeah, yeah. right? But then you've got the mashed potatoes that will always be frozen in the center no matter how long you microwave it. It's incredible. It's like a NASA invention right there, right? So you've got these TV dinners and, and, and they call them, they, what is it they call them? Hungry man meals or something like that? That is a misnomer. That is not true. That is a desperate man meal right there. Uh, if Hosanna's gone for too many days and I'm down to these, it's getting bad. I'm like, please help me. Um, but but uh, you've, got, you've got all these different sections, right? These areas that don't touch each other. But this is really how a lot of believers live their lives. This is how a lot of people live their lives. We compartmentalize, right? This is my spiritual life and this is my devotional time and my prayer time. And then over here I've got my family life and over here I've got my work life and right here is my leisure time and over here is my fitness time and then I've got my social activities over here and and they're separate. I've got them even on my calendar as separate things. Let me tell you, Jesus lived an integrated life. He stirred all that dish together. And his prayer life was moved throughout it. It was part of all that he was. Am I interacting with people? I'm praying. Am I, am I walking along the road? I'm praying. Am I, am I doing whatever it might be? It was part of who he was. Yes, there were breaks in times of prayer. He's, Paul's not talking about just constantly, can't, can't talk, I gotta pray, can't talk, gotta pray. He's saying that in everything it needs to be integrated into our life. Look at how Jesus was continually in prayer. We just talked about how he had dedicated moments of prayer, going off by himself to pray. But some other examples I found. I did some looking around. He prayed at his baptism in Luke 3.21. He prayed in the middle of teaching the crowds and while he was debating with the Jewish leaders in Matthew 11. He prayed before healing people and after healing people in Mark 7 and Luke 5. He prayed over meals in Matthew 8 and Luke 24 and in John 6. He prayed before important decisions. This is right before he selected the disciples. He prayed when he was grieving over the death of his friend Lazarus. He prayed when he blessed the children. He prayed when he interceded for Peter and the disciples. And he prayed as he was being nailed onto the cross. You see, Jesus didn't just spend formal time in relationship with the Father. He abided with the Father. He abided with the Father. 
His relationship with God didn't flow out of obligation, but it flowed out of the relationship. Out of love, out of relationship. How could, how could he not step away for dedicated times with God, even in the middle of his day, even mid-conversation, just take a moment to steal away with the Lord for a moment with the Father? I brought an object lesson here. This here is a Nokia brick phone. And it belongs to my wife, Hosanna. I, we have had this since we started dating. And we didn't throw it away. We still got the charger for it. The reason we still have it is because you can't break it. You cannot get rid of these things. No, the reason we still have it is because it has all of our original text messages together when we were first dating. And uh, it's, it's sappy. It's bad. You look at those things. Um, but the thing about our text messages were, by the way, for those of you that are under, I don't know, age 20-something, to text someone, if I just wanted to say hi, you'd have to hit the number four like five times just to say hi. But uh, the thing about our early texts was, I was working as a server in a restaurant, she was working, we were going to classes in school, but every opportunity I'd get, I'd steal away to send her a text to see what she's doing. I'd be at work and I'd, I'd finish serving a table or maybe they're still waiting for the drinks, but I'm like, I got more important things to do. I got to talk to this girl. And, and I would be texting her little floofy things, thoughts. Do you know why? Because I was passionate about her. I wanted to know everything about where she was from. I wanted to know what her favorite food was, what her favorite color was. I wanted to know what she was thinking about. I, 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 would, I would say things that were really flirtatious and now looking back shallow, I'd be like, there, I, I came across a text on here. I literally, I literally called her at one time my sweet chinchilla. Um... <laughs> But I was wild, I still am, but I was wild about her and I was looking for opportunities to steal away to talk to her. In the same way, let me tell you, prayer is a love story. Prayer is not obligation, it's a love story. Where we steal away and say, God, I just, I'm just thinking about you, I, I want to tell you, tell them the mundane, you're driving, I can't believe this person that's in front of me, Lord, I just, bless them, Lord, as they drive, I just pray you protect them on the road, obviously they're an idiot, so you need to protect, no, I'm just... Take these moments to say, God, I just, I just want to take a moment to talk to you. Let me, let me catch you, catch you right now. And, and in the same way, it's important we have those dedicated times together as a, in a relationship, right? Where Hosanna and I get away for a date night, where we get away and we spend concentrated time together, but through our lives, where she was texting me today, she's on a flight right now somewhere in Salt Lake City, and we've been texting each other this morning. Just that, that relationship that flows, and in the same way, our relationship with God has to flow. You see, Richard Foster again, he says this, real prayer comes from not gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. And it's about falling in love with Jesus. It's not about the obligation. It's not about showing our holiness and the long tassels and the big prayer boxes. But it's about an enduring, continuing, growing, loving relationship with the great God of the universe who came for us. How cool is that? So this morning, when we go today, I want you to bring Him your joys. When you're celebrating, tell God about it. Bring them your hurts. Bring them your frustrations. Did you know lamenting is a real part of prayer? Oh yeah, it is. How many have been reading our church prayer, uh, reading guide and been reading through Job? Lamenting happens. Jesus laments in prayer. Um, you, you look at what Jesus said. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God can handle our big questions. He's a big God. If you are frustrated with God, tell him, God, I'm ticked. What's your deal, man? Don't curse God. <laughs> 
But, but bring your frustrations. Bring your anger. Be real with our God. Bring Him your mundane. And let me tell you this. Don't be discouraged in your lack of prayer. Because the discouragement can actually keep us from the work itself. How many of us have ever felt like, I am way out of shape, I need to work on my health, but you're so discouraged at where you're at, you never even start? In the same way, don't let your discouragement of where your prayer life is at keep you from doing the work. Begin where you are. It's like, it's like improving your health. I'm not going to ask you to go climb Mount Everest with me tomorrow. I couldn't do it. But maybe take a walk around the block with me today. Start where you are. Begin the conversation with God. Because the God of the universe wants to know you. He's wild about you. He's waiting to talk to you. So this morning, we're going to close together in communion. Communion, it's amazing. Communion comes from the Latin, uh, the Latin word communis, which, which means to come together. It's oneness. It's union. And so when we take communion, we're coming together as a church body, as a community, to worship, to remember what Christ did for us. But also it's reminding us that Jesus came to commune with us, to know us. So if you'll take your communion elements with me. This is a rhythm of our church. We do it the first Sunday of every month. We break bread. We drink the cup together and remember what Christ did for us. In Luke 22, verse 14, Jesus is with the disciples. And he's sharing this final meal with them. And it says, when the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So this morning, we're going to take this grape juice and with thanksgiving for His blood that was poured out, this juice represents the blood of Christ that was poured out for our forgiveness and our wholeness. So Jesus, right now, we thank You that You came and You poured out Your blood so that we could have this relationship with you. Otherwise, we would be separated from God forever. But because of what you did, you took our sin, you took our failure, you took our brokenness upon yourself. And by your blood, we have forgiveness, we have wholeness. And we thank you for it, Jesus. So right now, church, with thanksgiving, let's receive the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus continues on it says he took some bread then and he gave thanks to God and he broke it into pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me let's receive the bread together Jesus today we thank you that you came for relationship with us you didn't just come to bring a new set of rules, a new system of thinking. You came that God would know us and we could know God. And there's nothing better than you. Teach us, God, to delight in you, to delight in the presence of God. Thank you, Father, for your presence. Amen. Amen. This morning we're going to sing a song.
that we sang to start the service, Graves into Gardens. I love what it says. It says, every desire is now satisfied here in your love. And then there's a verse that says, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all and you still call me friend. And so, in the same way we talked about being real in our prayer, being honest in our prayer, not trying to posture for God, not trying to posture for other people, but we worship God in, in, in truth. We worship God in, in the reality of who we are and where we are. So right now, church, let's stand together. Let's exalt the name of Jesus. Let's tell Him how much we love Him. Let's be real with where we are and, and just exalt the name of Jesus together. Let's lift our voices. Search the world, but it couldn't fill me. A man's empty praise, the treasures of pain, and everything that you can love. Put me back together. He's now satisfied here in the world. Oh, there's nothing Come on. better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is.
God. We thank you, Lord. Good God, there is nothing better than you. We don't have to have our lives together, God. We don't, we don't have to come clean before we come to you. We don't have to have the perfect prayer life, God. You say just like hopping in a shower. The shower is what cleans us, God. It's not we got to get clean and then hop in the shower. It's the same thing with you, God. We don't come clean and then come to you, Jesus. But through you, Jesus, through your dying on the cross for our sins, we are made new in you. So we thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church, for joining us this Sunday. Go in peace.